Last week we talked about hope. This week we'll talk about faith. Uh, next week will be joy. And then we will have the, the last week of Advent being peace uh, before we celebrate on the holiday season. So uh, I can't believe Christmas is coming so quickly, but I tell you, one of the greatest gifts that God gave us was His Son. Amen? And, and, and I know that's very uh, the Christian thing to say, but every day I'm so grateful because I remember what it was like when I didn't have Jesus. And I'm so thankful that I do now. And, and so faith is one of those things that you develop. And I want to talk to you today about what, what it means to have a real faith. Now, the only reason I kind of worded it that way is, is there's a lot of different faiths that are out there. But the real faith is the one that comes back to the Word of God, the one who is the author, uh, the finisher, the, the one who created us. And I, I want to take some time and, and just talk about that. Uh, we're going to look in Matthew chapter 2, if you want to turn there, or if it's your iPads or your iPhones. While you do that, if you're here and you're our guest, uh, we're, number one, we're just so glad you're here. should have gotten a bulletin when you came on, came on in, and there's an outline you can follow along. There's a little tear-off section. Uh, we'd love to get to know you. You can fill that out and drop it at the offering plates on the way out. If you have a prayer request that we can be praying with you about, uh, you can write it down on there as well and drop it into the offering uh, plate. And just know that we will be praying for you. And, and you'll, you'll be able to see as I go through today, we're going to look at a few different portions of Scripture. Matthew chapter 2 is going to take us to the story of Jesus, uh, his birth. And then I'm going to jump over to Ephesians for a couple you know, verses there. And then I'm going to steer over to James, because when I'm, we're talking about faith, I want to make sure we understand the, what faith really is, uh, this faith that God gave us. We celebrate today, we prepare for the coming of Christ so that there can be a hope because of Jesus, there is a faith that we can have because of Jesus, but what does that faith look like? What's it supposed to, to be? Because faith, faith is trusting in the person of Jesus Christ is what it is. Faith is about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Can we agree on that? Okay, that's what faith is. Faith is not just some word or it's some phrase that we use. Faith has less to do with being a head issue and has more to do with it being a heart issue. Now, we have to use the brains that God gave us, absolutely. But the goal is, is to allow it to sink down in our hearts and, and kind of uh, at its core develop this faith and what it should look like. So we don't always completely understand how life is going to steer us, but the question is, do we trust? We don't always know and fully understand. Is there anybody here that has all the answers to the world? Go ahead and raise your hand because you just disqualified yourself, right? Because nobody has all the answers. Nobody understands. Now, notice I didn't ask who thinks they have all the answers. I, I said, who does? There's only one. And it's found in Jesus. And that's why he brings us to this place of trusting in him. It, it, faith is trusting in the person of Jesus Christ. So I kind of want to set the stage. If you're here today and you're going through some kind of an issue, whatever that issue may be, the question I, I would ask you today is, is, are you inviting God into that and are you trusting him? Uh, trusting him is going to look like when God speaks that we obey what it is that he says, even when we don't completely understand even when it doesn't absolutely make sense. So faith is something that has come to you and me because of the coming of Jesus. You know, we're going to open Christmas presents here this, in the next two to three weeks. Um, but one of the greatest presents we can ever unwrap 
is our relationship with Christ. Salvation, yes, but unwrapping what it means to have a hope that's found in Jesus, understanding what it means to deepen your faith. If you're here today and you're a Christian, you know, are are you saved? Yep, by grace through faith, which we'll get to in a moment, but there's many different levels that God is wanting to deepen your walk, uh, deepen your faith in Christ Jesus. But sometimes we hesitate towards that. But it's one of the greatest gifts he's given us. So let me take you over to Matthew chapter 2. And I'm going to read verses roughly around 1 to 12. And this is the story of Jesus being born. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all his chief priests and scribes of of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men uh, secretly and ascertained from Uh, from them what time the star had appeared. And he had sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring word to me, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, uh, the star that they had seen when it rose, it went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now there's a lot that's going on in this story here. And of course, we want to make the apex of it. The focus is about Jesus being born. But what we have to realize is, is, is what's going on here is, is this birth, the, co- the coming, the announcement of the coming of the Messiah was a big deal. They've long been looking for a Messiah, a Savior, one who would come and rule and reign, bring stability. And um, Herod didn't like this because Herod thought he was, he's the king. You know, I don't, he didn't like the idea of another one coming and being in charge, so he's threatened by this. But what I find interesting is, is Herod... It, at the announcement of the coming of a Messiah, the wise men are coming to see him. Herod wants to see him. But as we'll find out in a moment, Herod wants to see him for an ulterior reason. He wants to eliminate him. The, the, the very thing that Herod wants to eliminate is the very thing that we sometimes don't grasp, and that's how powerful faith can be. Jesus came to give us this great gift of faith. And the question is, is how are we stewarding that and developing that in our own hearts, and in our own lives. Because it's only then that we'll really understand what it means to, to truly walk by faith. You know, we don't always completely understand everything that goes on in life. Can we all give a big amen to that one? Sometimes life just throws you a curveball, right? You know, you think you've got it all figured out, and all of a sudden, bam, it's like you get sucker punched. And, and you don't always have the answers, but in the midst of that, the question remains, do you trust in God? Now, that's kind of a loaded question because it's a pastor asking you in a church setting, and I can say, do you trust in God even in the hard times? You can be like, amen. But when you're at home, 
and you're by yourself and you're thinking, you're left alone with your own thoughts, in those moments, can you still say amen? Can you still agree that God is in control and that you're going to trust him and obey him? Because that's what it boils down to. Do we trust him? See, we're celebrating Christmas, or we will celebrate Christmas. We're celebrating Advent right now, the coming of the Messiah. And what is coming to us is a hope and it's a faith that when we trust in Jesus, that everything will work out. You know, in our reading, I had said that we see both the wise men and Herod, they responded to the announcement of the coming of the Messiah, but they responded in two different ways. Uh, Herod had the talk, but the wise men had the walk. Catch that, because Herod knew what to say. He knew how to say it. He said, go, search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring word to me that I might come and worship him too. He didn't want to worship him. He wanted to eliminate the little baby. He was afraid of a child that couldn't even talk or take care of itself because of the prophetic words that came and said, this child is going to be great and is going to be the Messiah. So his thought was, I'm just going to eliminate the child. And in the same way Herod wants to eliminate the child, the enemy of our soul wants to eliminate any faith that you can have that when you place it in God, that God will come through and you will be victorious. See, it's a faith that God gives us. Herod had the talk. He knew what to say. He knew Christianese, okay? You know what that is? It's knowing all the right church words to say. You know, when to say it, hallelujah, amen, preach it, brother, you know, things like that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying that, does your talk line up with your walk? The wise men had the walk because it says that when they showed up and saw Jesus, little baby Jesus, lying in a manger, sitting there with Mary, uh, his, his mother, it says that, here, here was their response. First of all, they went to where he was, right? Herod couldn't even be bothered. Herod didn't want to make the trip. He sent out a committee and said, come back to me. Report back to me, let me know. But the wise men went. They walked it out. And when they entered the room and saw Jesus, it says they fell down and worshipped him. Do you see the difference between Herod, between the wise men? I mean, the wise men were called wise men for a reason, right? It was, it was, the, it was the wise thing to do. So the question I have this morning for each of us is, where do we see ourselves lining up? Is it more talk or is it more walk? And only the, you and the Holy Spirit can figure that out. See, the wise men demonstrated their faith by their actions. You saw that their faith was strong because their feet moved, their knees knelt, they, they worshiped. And when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we learn to trust Him even when it doesn't make sense, even when it doesn't feel good, even when sometimes it doesn't seem like it's the right thing to do. And so that's why I call it real faith. Did you ever notice? A lot of times people try to put the word real in front of something as if that's going to make whatever follows the word real better. You know, real leather, you know, as opposed to fake. Or people will say, this is real coffee. Well, I hope so. I didn't order a fake one, you know. Um, it, when I was growing up, Coca-Cola used to have an ad, and I think their jingle was, it's the real thing, right? You know, they throw the word in there, real. Like, I I'm going to sell you on this. And what happens in the world is, is we focus more on the real and less on the faith. But a real faith is a biblical faith. It comes back to the word of God, to the one who spoke it, to the one who will back it. And it's also the one that will see you through whatever difficulty it is that you're going through. It's a faith 
that's summed up in Ephesians chapter 2. I believe we have that on the screen. It's in your outlines. And it says, for by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. You've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one may boast. In other words, you, you and I have been saved through faith. You, you didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't save myself. I can't save myself. But Christ can save me, and I am who I am because of the grace of God. I do what I do because of his great love and the faith that he builds in my life. And he says, and I did that on purpose because if I let you build your own faith, you go off talking about how good you are, and you'd forget all about me. But yet we still do that, don't we? We forget. We forget. You know, there's three prepositions in that, in that uh, passage that we have to have in the right order. It's by grace, through faith, unto good works. And it has to be in that order. If you get those things mixed up, then everything's going to be backwards. If you get them out of order, you're in trouble. If you think that you're saved by works, uh, your faith will struggle. But he's saying we are saved by grace, through faith. That makes all the difference in the world. We're saved just by accepting God's gift, the gift that he gives to us today, a faith, a faith in God, something that we can not only believe in, but we can count on and we can take to the bank. Yeah, now, I, I want to just draw out five, five observations about faith, five things that you and I, this gift that God has given us that we need to understand about faith. And I couldn't think of a better person to help me out with it than, than the book of James. Uh, it's a good book, isn't it? It's a good name for a book, I think. Maybe I'm partial, but uh, uh, the book of James, especially in chapter 2, he talks about faith and what it is and what it isn't. He talks about how it's supposed to, how it's supposed to flow in our lives. And I just want to give them to you and keep it real simple. So number one, write down with me, real faith is not just something you say. Real faith isn't just something that you say. Well, you're telling me I shouldn't speak and I can't talk. No, I didn't say that. I'm just saying real faith isn't all just about something that you say. In chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? Let me ask you today. If somebody says that they have faith but have no works, can that faith save them? No, it can't. It doesn't say he actually, when James is talking about this person or whoever his audience is, it doesn't say he actually has faith. He says it's just somebody who claims to have faith. He says if you just claim to have faith but don't actually have faith, then it's not going to help you at all. It's going to be worthless. It's going to be empty. It's going to be void. And so he talks about this. He says, you know, a person who claims to have faith and just says it, but doesn't really have it, then what they do is they do a lot of this. They, they, they do a lot of talking. They know all the right phrases. And there's a lot of people, a lot of people, uh, that claim to be Christians. And I wonder, because I'm not the judge, right? But uh, George Gallup said, and this is about, th- this, um, this comment is about 10 years old, but George Gallup, who did the poll, says, that on average, 50 million Americans say, I'm born again, but yet there's no fruit that's being produced in their life to show it. They talk, but they're not doing anything with what it is they're talking about. Hey, you can have a faith, but he says, but, it, but, it, but it's about having faith that moves you into action. Don't let faith 
this gift of faith just be a head knowledge kind of a thing? Oh, yeah, I, you know, I, I believe. You know, I, I have faith. You see, today we tend to label people as Christians if they, if they make the slightest sound of being a believer, right? And, and we don't really know. I, I truly believe that I, I don't know how it's going to work in heaven. None of us do, right? We, we don't understand everything about heaven. And what I mean by, by that is this. I, I think if I get to be in the, if I'm a greeter at heaven or something like that, you know, hey, welcome to, you know, the most holy of holies here. I think I'll be shocked at some of the people that come through the doorway that I didn't expect. And I think I would maybe be disappointed at some that I expected and didn't show. Now, I don't think heaven works that way. Uh, you know, it, we're, we're going to be too enamored. But my point is simply this. Just talking about being a Christian doesn't make you one. Talking about having faith doesn't mean it's necessarily something that's deep within your life. Uh, Jesus said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's why I can say all that, because Jesus said it. Uh, Not everybody with a Christian bumper sticker that says they're a believer means they're automatically going to go to heaven, right? You You can look the part. When I was young, I used to have a I was 16 years old. I got my driver's license. My mom and dad decided to do me a salad. They're going to help me get a car, right? But they bought a stick shift. I don't know how to drive a stick shift, so I think they knew what they were doing. They're like, aren't we great parents? We bought you a car that you can't drive. (laughs) So I had to learn how to drive a stick. Well, you got to remember I'm a teenager when I tell this illustration, okay? Okay? (laughs) I'm getting some, you know, disclaimer here. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a couple bumper stickers on my car, and one of them was choosing the call. In, in youth group, uh, that was a, a kind of a phrase that was used. It was challenging teenagers to step up, be Christians, you know. And I had the sticker, but did that sticker make me any more of a Christian than the next person who didn't have a bumper sticker? No. The funny thing is, is right below it, because I'm a teenager, I had a second bumper sticker that said, don't tailgate me or I'll flick a booger on your windshield. <laughs> Now, here's the funny part. I mean, that's funny enough, but my dad's car broke down one day, and he had to borrow my car. Imagine seeing my dad driving down the road with that bumper sticker on the back. I thought that was the most hilarious thing I've ever seen in my life. Bumper sticker, I I, I grabbed a few of them. Here's one of them. Go ahead and throw one of those up there. You got one, you know, we we see people that got Jesus, you know. Okay, great. If you've got these bumper stickers on your car, I'm not making fun of it. I'm just saying... The bumper sticker doesn't give you any more faith than the person who doesn't. Here's another one. Be an organ donor. Give your heart to Jesus. Aww. Isn't that you know, special? It's cute. That's sweet. But it doesn't make any more of a Christian. Go ahead. What would Jesus brew? There we go. There's a good one. Some creative people, some coffee people. Throw up the other one. Jesus loves you, but I'm his favorite. <laughs> I kind of like that one, you know. People... People having fun with it. Go ahead with the other one. Church, what's missing? You are, right? That's very clever, you know? (laughs) Go ahead with the next one. Uh, Do you follow Jesus this close? (laughs) That's for all you tailgaters out there, right? And I might have to throw myself in that category because I've been known to tailgate me a few of them. Go ahead with the next one. I think this one here is my favorite. Honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you want to meet him, right? Uh you can plaster these on your car, and it doesn't make you any more saved. It don't, you know, some people, I, back when I was a kid, people put bumper stickers on their car because they were falling apart. They were hoping the bumper stickers would help hold it together. 
you know. But it doesn't make you any more of a Christian. It doesn't increase your faith. Uh, and, and again, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's, real faith isn't just something you say. You know, like, yeah, I have faith. Okay, you, it starts there, but it needs to sink down a little bit deeper because not everybody who, who is a professor of Christianity is a possessor of Christianity. You can profess all day long, but until you possess it, take it, own it, embrace it, then it doesn't really transform your life. Um, can such a faith save somebody? What, what value is this kind of faith? Uh, well, nothing if it's all talk, because talk is cheap. We all have said that before. Um, James says that a real faith is not just something that you say. It's not just something that you say. You, you may think of people that come to mind, or maybe you think of yourself you know, when, when, when I'm talking about this and you think, man, I know people in my life that talk about all the things they're going to do but don't do it or how they say they're going to do these great things for God, but, or, or maybe you or I have said that at times. I, I'll speak about me, okay? I know there's times where I've said, this is what I'm going to do and this is how I'm going to do, do it, but my faith was in me at that moment more so than it was in God. And I had to make that switch because real faith isn't just something you say. And number two, here's the next one. Real faith is not just something you feel not just something you feel. I'm going to talk about feelings here for a moment, okay? I'm going to talk about emotion here for a moment, and I am not dogging on them, okay? Emotions are good. God gave them to us. It's a gift. It's why when you swing the hammer and miss and hit your thumb that you go, ah, and you start saying some lovely words because the emotion is letting you know pain has taken place, right? Without pain, we wouldn't know when we were hurt. Joy, happiness, now, all these different emotions, they're not bad. But when it comes to faith, real faith is not just about feelings. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. Remember that song? I think I've told you before, somebody needs to take that guy out behind the church and give him a few of those. It, it, our faith is not based on feelings. It, it, it's about when we get involved and we obey what Christ has t- told us to do. So James chapter 2, he goes on in verse 15. It says, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need, of a, in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Think about that. He says, you, you got to do something with your faith. Yeah, having it, possessing it, yeah, first of all, we don't own it, but he gives it to us so that we will do something, that we will do something with it. You can be emotionally moved about something, but yet never act on it. And we've got to make sure that our faith, though it can feel and be emotional at times, there's nothing wrong with that, but does it move you to do something? Does it transform who you are? So you can go to church and get Get, get all excited, get a little quiver in your liver, get the Holy Goose pimples, you know, or however people want to talk about it. I'm excited, but do you do something with it? Do you let it move you beyond your comfort zone? So he gives us this illustration and says, if you see a brother or a sister who's in need and you're to meet that need, don't just say, you know, God bless you, hope everything works out, when it's in your power to help them. Let me put it this way. Let's say we leave church here today and you go out to your car. And for some reason, only God would know how this would happen, but you shut the door and you get your hand stuck in the door. Bam! And it's stuck. And you're, ah! 
and it hurts. And I walk up to you and I say, oh man, that's really got to hurt. I sure feel for you. What good is that going to do? Are you going to be happy with that? If I just walk up and say, man, I really feel for you. I feel for your pain. And then I walk away, get in my car and go home and eat my lunch and leave you there. See, that does absolutely no good. That kind of a faith doesn't help anybody. Real faith is more than just sympathy. It's more than just feelings. It's more than just emotions, although it does include them. You get assistance. You, in other words, real faith is a moving faith. It's a faith that's in action. It's when you're progressing forward and you're saying, Lord, show me what the next step is. Here's the scary thing. When you start asking God for what the next step is, God will show you, but are you willing to take the next step? I would even propose that sometimes, just, I'm just thinking out loud here, okay? So that's all I'm doing. But I would, I, in my head, I think, you know what? Sometimes I wonder if we don't ask God for enough faith or act upon the faith that we already have because if we ask him to show us the next step, he's going to show us and I'm too scared to take that next step. I've gotten comfortable. This, I, you know, it's really good right here. And if you ask me to move, that's an unknown area, God, and I don't know what to do about it. But you see, every unknown area you experience in your life is completely known by God. He created that next step. And what he wants to know is, do you have a faith that will move you to action so it's not just about something that you say. It's not just about, I'm waiting for it until I feel it. You know, when I feel it, then I'll move. Well, you're going to be waiting the rest of your life. Because as soon as we get scared, as soon as we get nervous, we back down. But he says, no, act on it. Real faith takes initiative. And it is scary. Especially if you're going through a new season in your life. Yeah, it's a new relationship, it's a new move to a different town, it's a new job you're taking, different things like that. Every challenge that you face, you have enough faith to accomplish whatever God sets before you. I know at times life throws you curveballs. I know you can go through pain and difficulties. I know that we experience loss in this life. Sometimes it's the loss of a loved one, it's a loss of a dream. It's a loss of a future that we thought was going to go this way, but then all of a sudden goes this way. And, and Jesus remains right here and he says, do you trust me? Is your faith in me? Because when you place your faith in Christ, then all of a sudden, you know, I, I would love to say this. I, I, I wondered this as a kid when I was learning about faith. If I take my faith in my worst moment and give it to God, is he going to double it and give it back to me? You know? But you see, I was trying to think for God in that moment. Here's what I found out that usually happens for me. I, I can't speak for everyone else. When I, am, when I try to hold on to something, a dream, and I'm unwilling to let it go, rarely does it ever come to pass because I'm not willing to surrender. But when I'm willing to give that to God, and I say, God, in the ugliest of times, I trust you. It didn't come when I wanted it didn't necessarily come how I wanted, but it came, and it was 10 times better than I could have ever thought of. God's timing is always different than ours. Have you figured that out? Why is that? I don't know. You can ask him when, I, when you get up there, because that's what I plan on doing. But the reality is, is when I place my faith in Christ, his timing is always impeccable. But am I going to do something now with the faith that Christ gives me? You act on it. Real faith takes initiative. A real believer has real faith and it's practical and, and gets involved with other people. 
Now, James is talking to other Christians here. When you become a part of God's family, he says, there's some responsibilities there. A real believer is going to care about the other believers that are around them. First uh, John 3.17 speaks to us. In, um, oh, let's read that one together. You ready? It's on the bottom there. You ready? Go. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does that love of God abide in him? Real faith is generous. It gives. Not just when it's comfortable either. It gives when, when God speaks and you simply obey. You, you want to give. Can people, let me ask you this, can people count on you as a Christian? Can people count on you when they're in a crisis, reach out to you, to talk to you? Uh, you know, can, can, they, can they lean on you? First John 3.14 says that one of the proofs of salvation is that we love other people believer. We love all people, but he says that we build that type of relationship. Do you have that fellowship of believers? A real faith wants to be around that. Um, And it says that we're known by our Christian love. Back to James chapter 2, verse 17, he said, even so faith, if it has not works, it is what? Dead. It's dead, being itself. When you place your faith in what you can see, when you place your faith in what you think, it's going to be limited. But a real faith doesn't, doesn't focus on, on that. Number three, write this down. Real faith, it's not just about something you think. It's not just about something you think. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Because you might be thinking, Pastor, don't we have to use the brains that God gave us? And, and think, yes, you do. But don't stop there. Let it sink down into your very spirit. Because for some of us, we treat faith, and maybe some people we know or we work with, we treat faith like it's an intellectual trip. It's a matter of faith. is a matter to be studied. Um, it's to be debated. It's to be talked about and discussed. But verse 18 says, But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. That's kind of a tongue twister. Because I can read that, my brain just kind of does one of those. But what it's basically showing here is, is this. He says, he's speaking, he's imagining, he's addressing an intellectual person. And he says, basically, it would look like this. One would say, you're into faith? I'm into works. That's cool. Different, different strokes for different folks. Let's debate it. Let's talk about it. Let's have a meeting. Let's take a vote. And what James is saying is, no... Faith in God, real faith in God, is not about something that you debate or sit around in a meeting and and vote on. Faith is faith alone because God gives it to us. So in that verse, verse 18, it says, But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith. Circle the word show me. Because that's the key right there. When you give your heart to Jesus, when you let that faith transform you, It will show up in your life. How can I know if I have that kind of faith? Because it shows up in your life. Does it mean you're perfect? (laughs) Absolutely not. But it means that it starts to transform you. You see it. Because all of a sudden, you're more caring, more giving, more thoughtful, more fill in the blank. It becomes apparent in your life. If you claim to be a Christian, people will see that in your heart and in your life. You see, faith faith is odorless. It's weightless. So how can anybody claim to have it? Uh, how do you know for sure? James says, because it'll be seen. It'll be seen in your actions. It'll be seen in your words. 
It'll be seen in your character. If you claim to be a Christian, then he says, I'll see it when I look at you. You know, faith is kind of like calories. You ever count calories when you're eating food or doing diets? I, I know asking the question, there's some people that are like, yes, all the time, and I hate it. And there's other people that are like, no, I just eat, right? But faith, in some ways, can be like calories. You can't see them, but you know they're there. And they're going to show up later, right? I can get this donut, or I can get this chocolate chip cookie. I can't see the calories in it. And when I eat it, I'm still unaware of the calories. I know they're in there somewhere, but guess what? It's going to show up later. It's the way faith is. When you engage in faith, you may not see it, you may not smell it, you may not understand everything about it, but when you act upon it, all of a sudden it starts to show up in your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, familiar scripture. Let's read that one together on the bottom. You ready? Go. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. When you give your heart to Jesus... The transforming work is being done in your life. The old, gone. And he gives you a brand new you. The problem is, is we remember the old us. And there's this wrestling match that goes on with our very soul, which is why faith is extremely important. Because we are who we are through faith. Not by our past mistakes. Not by the things that we've done wrong. But when you start acting upon it, all of a sudden, it starts to show up. Now salvation, when you give your heart to Jesus... Bam, it's done. Before you finish saying the words, well, you got to finish saying the words, but it's immediate, forgiven, saved, delivered, right? But that faith journey is is just that. It's a journey. It, It happens, you know, the faith that you have access to, it's immediately there. Learning to act upon it is going to take probably a lifetime. It's a journey that you and I go on. But we have to make sure that we grab a hold of it. And when you do, it starts to show up. You know, uh, James, James, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just guess, if he lived in the United States, he would live in Missouri because he would say, show me. You know, I want to see it. I, I, you know, it's the show me state. He says, I, it, it'll show up. And if you get a hold of that, it will change you. It will affect your life. If there was a 220-volt wire, bare wire, that was live, and you grabbed a hold of it, would it, would it affect you? Absolutely. It would light you up like a Christmas tree. Things would happen that you probably don't want to happen. And it would be an experience you never would probably want to do again. I don't see how somebody as big as God can enter our life and it not change us and affect us and transform us. And James says flat out that if it doesn't change you, then there's a question about what's really going on at the heart. What can I, what can I see in my life that proves it, that I, I, can, I know that I have this faith? that Christ has given to us. Let me ask the question, let me ask a question this way. If you and I, and you've probably heard this before, but if you and I were ever arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict us? Would there be enough evidence? Or not? Real faith. Here's number four. Real faith is not just something you believe. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Uh, It... Verse 18 of James chapter 2, or verse 19 says, You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe, and they shudder. So he says, the faith that that Christ has given to us through the birth of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior is not just a faith that's out there somewhere. He says, it's a faith that you just don't 
well, I believe it's out there. there there's a higher power. There's, I, I believe in kind of a God. And yeah, I believe there's, you know, I can have faith in this and I can have faith in that. And he says, don't be so generic with your faith. He said, it's not just about believing that it's out there somewhere. He said, even the devil believes that God, in God. The demons believe in God. So just because you say you believe in God doesn't really do much. They know that. And it says that they, the word it says is, is the demons um, and the devil know that there's a God. And it says that they shudder. Uh, when, the, 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 hold on. when the demonic experiences or encounters Jesus, and they just shudder, they can't handle that. One of the words that gets used is a Greek word that kind of translates to bristle. They bristle. They can't handle the presence of God because of the enormous power of faith that is there. We've got a dog. Her name's Kaisa. It's a German shepherd. It's a puppy. I think it's still a puppy. I don't know when you stop calling him a puppy. You know, she's over a year old now. Hey, you can put a saddle on this dog. So we've got to quit calling it a puppy. We'll start calling it a pony. And uh, the big dog, the most lovable dog. I mean, this dog will just love you to death once she gets to know you. But if you were to come over to my house unannounced and try to come up to the door, she's going to let you know she's there, right? That's what German shepherds do. And I remember sitting there one day, and I just saw my dog. Well, it's Lisa's dog, but for this illustration, it's mine now. You can have her back afterwards. Uh, somebody came over to the house, and that dog, I mean, that dog would bark, and you know, not a big deal. But when it felt threatened, there's this deep bass bark, you know what I'm talking about? that made me wet myself just a little bit, right? You know, oh, I started, oh, what's happening? And her hair stood up, and she started going for the door, and I thought, somebody's going to die. <laughs> and it might be me, I don't know yet. And uh, I, I just, I picture, you know, now that was aggressive and all that, but the demonic, they just, they cannot handle the presence of God because of the power that's there. So when I say real faith is not just something you believe, you can believe in faith and believe there's faith and believe about faith, but do you have that kind of a faith? Because it's that kind of a faith that makes the enemy tuck tail and run. The enemy's, I'm going to share something with you that I think you know, but I just need to make sure you know it. The enemy's not scared of you. Did you know that? The enemy's not scared of me. The enemy's scared of the Jesus in us. And it, it, it's that that he goes after. He tries to trip up and attack. That's why we need to have a real faith. That's not just something we kind of wish upon a star and hope and believe in. It, it has to be something we understand or we are working at that journey and cultivating that into our, our life. The Bible uh, talks to us about what a great deal, what a big deal faith is. Now, like I said, the enemy knows the word of God. He, he, he knows God is real. Uh, the hair stands up on the on end when he gets into his presence, they tremble at the presence of God. They believe. The enemy does. Do we believe? Do we have that kind of do we really believe in the in faith in Jesus Christ that much? Now, I I I'm a Christian because I believe in Jesus. Uh, but it's more than just a head knowledge. There are a lot of folks that are going to miss heaven by 18 inches. That's roughly the distance between your head to your heart. Some people are going to miss eternity by 18 inches because they know. But do they know? They understand, but do they really understand? It, is it something they just believe in here or do they believe it here and it transforms their life? 
Because that's what a real faith is all about. There was a survey that was done years ago. So these st- statistics are outdated, but it still makes my point. It was in Orange County, California. They were doing uh, some work at a local, I think it was a Bible school or college there, talking about faith and what people believe in. They surveyed people in Orange County and found out that they said many in Orange County believe but don't practice. Orange County, I'm not picking on you, it's just an article. They did a survey and asked people all over Orange County and they found a high degree of belief here. Because when they started asking this, they said, are you a believer? Yes, I'm a believer. Are you a Christian? Yes, I, I am a Christian. Do you attend church? Nope. Do you donate your time? Nope. Do you tithe? Nope. Do you do anything to give back? Not really. See, they believe, but it wasn't a transforming belief. And James would say, that's a phony belief. You're, you're just conning yourself, and a lot of people get stuck right there. So, so what do we do? The, la- the last point I'm going to make is real faith. It's something that you do. It's something that you do. Uh, in the next couple of verses in James, it gives an illustration between Abraham and Rahab. And I'm just going to kind of sum it up. But here's what's going on. Two very different people, Abraham and Rahab, exact opposites uh, to an extreme. Abraham was a man. Rahab was a woman. Abraham is Jewish. Rahab is a Gentile. Abraham is a patriarch. Rahab is a prostitute. Abraham is somebody. Rahab's a nobody. Abraham is a major character in the Bible. Rahab is a minor character in the Bible. And James uses, if you were to look at verses 20, let's just say 20 through 25, it will talk about Abraham, it will talk about Rahab, and he uses this illustration to say it doesn't matter who you are as long as you've got the important thing in common, that your faith is found in Christ. That's what matters most. Their faith in God led them to their action. So how do we know it? How can we, how can we see it? Um, you know, we understand the whole challenges they went through without getting into the full story, but Abraham was called to sacrifice his son. By faith, he obeyed God. See, if you're going to offer up your son, your only son, this isn't going to do it. This is. And he understood that. Rahab, she was a Gentile. She, she was considered the enemy for a while, but she helped spies escape out of Jericho. Do you remember that? And, and, and because of that, it was accredited to her faith. And you find her, we found out last week, she's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. You see, our faith is not determined so much by what we do. It's demonstrated by what we do. Uh, about 40 years, it would be about 50 years now. Uh, about 50 years ago, there was a famous tightrope walker named George Blondin. Do you know who that is? Anybody know George Blondin? How many of you have ever heard of the story of the man who walked across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope? There you go. There's, that, that's George Blondin. He was a famous tightrope walker and He could do all these great things. So he decided one day that he was going to walk across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. On the appointed day, they had stretched out this tightrope from one side of the Niagara Falls to the other side of the Niagara Falls. And he got out there, and there were crowds that were lining up. You had enormous crowds here on the Canadian side. You had an enormous crowd over here on the American side, and thousands of people were there to see this unbelievable feat that that he was going to do. 
And Blondin walked up to the edge of the tightrope. And I don't know about you, but I walk up to the edge. I, I, I don't even like to walk up to the edge. Let's just leave it at that, you know. But this guy gets out there and says that he put his foot on the tightrope. Then he just put one more. And then he just put one more and he just kept going. And he kept walking. He was out into the middle of the Niagara Falls and everybody watching him knew that if he just made one mistake, one miscalculation, that's, that's it. He's going to fall and it's going to be his death. But as we all know, that he made it to the other side. When he did, the crowd went crazy. Oh, everyone's yelling and they're cheering his name. And Blondin said this. He says, I'm going to do it again. He said, but this time I'm going to take a wheelbarrow full of dirt. Any takers? Any takers? And they said, what? I'm going to take a wheelbarrow full of dirt. He went out there and he was able to do it across the tightrope. Not only did he do it once, but he did it two times, three times, four times. Somewhere around the eighth or the ninth time, I don't know, he got across and he was right in front of one of the, the tourists that was there. And the tourist said this, man, that is great. I believe you could do that all day long. And Blondin dumped out the dirt and said, really? Get in. Now, in a very real sense, sometimes God will speak to you and to me. We love watching him move and do the miraculous. We believe he can walk on the tightrope. We believe he can haul dirt from one place to the next. But it's another thing when he asks you and I to get in the wheelbarrow. So I just ask the question, this faith that God has given to us. Uh, what area of your life is God asking you to get in the wheelbarrow? Surrender. What is he asking you to give to him? You know, I'll, I'll close with this illustration. Um, there was a single traveler. He was hiking through, hiking for many miles through a desert. No water in sight, no food in sight. He was dehydrated, not doing well. And he knew he needed something pretty quick or, or he was going to die. It's just what it came down to. And he kept on walking and Eventually, he came to a place where there was this little abandoned cabin. And when he arrived, he discovered uh, in, in the backyard, there was this old rusty pump near the back door. And then he noticed that there was a tin can that was attached to the pump with a note inside of it. And the note said this, Dear stranger, the well has never gone dry, but the pump needs to be primed in order for it to bring up the water. Under the white rock, I buried a jar of water away from the sun. There's enough water in that jar to prime the pump. Pour half of it into the pump to wet the leather. Wait, then pour the rest of the water, and then begin to pump. You will get all the water that you need. And when you are finished, please fill the jar up and put it back as you found it for the next traveler who comes this way. Here's my closing question. You as the traveler, what would you do? Would you just drink the jar of water? Would you prime the pump and wait so you could get all the water you want but not care enough to fill up the jar and put it back underneath the rock? Well, what's, your, what's your point, Pastor? My point is simply this. One of the greatest gifts that we celebrate is the coming of our Savior. And one of the greatest gifts he's given to us is a faith. Are we going to be a people that not just do it and exercise it, but are willing to prime the pump for the next generation that's behind us? Because they're counting on us. 
when I look around this world, it gets bleaker and bleaker. Is that a word? You know what I'm saying, though. But you and I as Christians have the opportunity to prime the pump. You cannot prime the pump unless you first have the water. And you cannot help anybody, let alone yourself, unless you have a faith that is active and that is willing to give. And that's the kind of faith God calls us to have in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray today that, Lord God, each and every one of us, those under the sound of my voice, that, Lord, whatever they're going through, wherever we see weaknesses, Lord, we're asking you to show yourself strong. Lord, I pray today, and as much as we've talked about faith, may we not just take this faith that we talked about and do exactly what we've been warned, and that's to just say, man, that felt good. But Lord, will you help us to do something with that faith? Help us to be creative. Show us where we need to grow personally. And then show us how to give out of that natural spot. So Jesus, I pray for each and every person here, for whatever season they're going through, that, Lord God, you would be the glory and the lifter of their head, that, Lord, when they feel weak, you would show yourself strong, and that, Lord, when the world just starts throwing haymakers and we feel like we can't make it, that we would refix our eyes on you because you've given us all that we need to be victorious. In Jesus' name, amen, church.